Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. These are the words of God. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law. So that she is, no, she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity... Through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Although um, there is a lot in these 13 verses, and although it can be extraordinarily confusing if we're not careful, um, Paul actually sums up his entire point, the, the very thing that he's trying to communicate, he sums it up all in one particular vo- verse. Uh, it's found in verse 4, and here's the points that Paul tells us. He says, number one, we were made to die to the law through Christ. Now, we're going to have to understand what that means and what that doesn't mean, uh, what the law is that he's referring to, and I'm going to share that this morning. But he says, we were made to die to the law through Christ so that something could happen. Verse 4 goes on, so that we could be uh, joined or united with another. Who is the other that we're to be joined with? The one who was raised. Who is that church? Jesus. So make no mistake, we're not raised to anybody. We're not raised to some, uh, some church, some pastor, something like this. We're, we're raised to one who saved us, the one who raised himself. And all of this is for this great purpose statement that Paul makes. And it is just powerful. 
Many times we overlook it. So he says, we were made to die to the law through Christ. Don't forget the through Christ part. So that we might be joined to another. That's where most Christians stop. That's Jesus Christ. But then the third point that Paul makes in all that he's talking about in chapter 6 and chapter 7, all of this leads to this. In order that we might bear fruit to God. Do you know that you can only bear fruit to God if you are joined to Christ Jesus? You can only bear fruit for God. You can only live by faith if the faith, Jesus Christ, has come into your life and you have accepted him. He is the object of our faith, okay? So Paul says that we were made to die to the law through Christ so that we could be joined to another, which is Jesus who was raised, in order to bear fruit for God. Now, chapter 6 and chapter 7 communicate the same things. You can write this down. You can underline it you know, as you read it yourself. But, but chapter 6 and chapter 7 communicate the same thing. But how they communicate it is different. Okay? Chapter 6 communicates a relationship between a slave and a master. Okay? A slave and a master. And we were slaves to sin. How many of you know that? We were slaves to sin. We died to sin. How many of you know that? And we died to sin because... Jesus condemned sin in the flesh on the cross. We didn't die to sin because somehow one day we woke up and chose, you know what, I'm just going to knock off this sinning business, right? Even if we could have done that, which we couldn't, even if we could do that, it would not have paid for the past sins of our life and, and redeemed us from our nature. Amen? So the important thing is in, the, in chapter 6, it tells us that we were, ma- we were slaves to sin, but now we've become servants, slaves to God. You are not your own, Scripture says. You were bought at a price. You are now under the, the master heading of the Father. That's a really important picture that is painted. And then we move to chapter 7, and in chapter 7, the picture that's painted is one that's far more palatable for most people, and that is we got this really awesome groom, and we're the bride, and it's like, yay, life is good. Okay? It's a marriage thing. But as I've shared with you many times in the past, what you, what you need to remember when you're studying the Scripture is that the images that are painted in Scripture are for our benefit. They're for our help in understanding, right? They're, they're so that we can have a file folder for what the apostle might be talking about or what Jesus is referring to or what God is trying to do. But if we take them too far, sadly, we will take one image to the exclusion of another. Okay, So we have this image of God in the scripture where he is a loving father. And how many of you love that? He's a loving father. This is a beautiful image. This is powerful. But you have to remember, there are people who didn't have a loving father in their life. And so that might not make much sense to them. I'm not saying that we don't talk about God as father. We, we, don't, we don't change the message because of the, the, the issues of people's lives. But I want you to understand, some people don't have a file folder for a loving father. So then the scripture also talks about him as a loving husband, as a, as, a, as a groom who wants a pure and spotless bride who's willing to do everything he can to, to bring, him to him, bring her to himself. And so we, we all know that image, right? We, how many of you like that image? The marriage image. All the women are like, yep, I like that image. It's pretty good, right? But in all of the images that we have, whether it's God the Father, God the Groom, whether it's, uh, whether it's a friend of sinners, uh, whatever it is, we must always remember that all of those images were to point us back to the fact that he is God. He is creator, and we are created. 
We are creation. We are his to do with as he pleases. And what he pleases to do with us is to make us holy and righteous and and beautiful so that what? Paul told us. So that we might bear fruit. Isn't that powerful? Okay, so chapter 6 has a lot of imagery of slave and master, and that's a challenging imagery. But then we go into this, and we see a new imagery. We see a new imagery, and we see a groom who cares for his bride. He wants to bring her to him, and this is a beautiful picture. So just keep those in your mind as we see this. Now, the the beginning intro uh, to this, verses 1 through 3, when Paul says that the law has jurisdiction over a, a wife as long as the husband lives... Uh, but if the husband dies, she's freed from the law. You need to keep this in your mind when we talk about our very first point. Our very first point, although there, uh, that we were made to die to the law through Christ Jesus. It's not dying to the law as though God's uh, commands were somehow burdensome or problematic. How many of you know that? They were not burdensome or problematic. Here's the, here's the deal. Although they were intended to give life, They brought death, Scripture says. Okay, I'm going to show you that in just a second. They were intended for life, but they brought death. But the one thing the commands could never do is save you. See, God's word is life. Amen? If God tells you, if God tells a husband and wife, here's how a proper husband and wife should treat each other, anybody who has walked in that understands the life that God just gave us, amen? Because there's a joy. It's a husband who realizes his wife has immense value. She's beautiful in every way. She is, she is his help mate. She is the one that is, that is for him to navigate this life. That is a life-giving reality. Okay, so anybody who knows, I, I see you guys looking at your spouses. This is, might be a problem. Anyway, so, so if you live it this way, listen, it's life-giving, okay? It's just beautiful and it's life-giving. However, even though the commands are intended for life, they cannot save. How many of you know, no matter, no matter the amount of obedience that you pile up in your life, you will not, cannot redeem yourself from your past sins, You just can't. And you can't change your nature through obedience. So do you understand those two things? In the scripture, you're going to hear that the scripture, that the the commands of God are life. They were meant for life, but that, that death springs up because of them. And you're also going to hear that they can't save. Don't conflate the two. They are life, but they can't do what Jesus' blood does for us, okay? So it's really important. So the first thing, we were made to die to the law in the same way that the, the husband dies and the wife is set free, okay? So just put your thinking caps on for just a quick second. If the husband dies and the wife is set free, how did she die to the law? She died to its requirement, She died to its jurisdiction. It didn't disappear. Amen? It doesn't go away. This is why Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Do you understand that? So so there's, there's so much confusion. How many of you would raise your hands and say, there's a lot of confusion in my mind about grace and law? This guy is my favorite person right now. Give me a high five. See, I asked him to raise his hand. He didn't even know what for yet. He's like, boom. I'm like, I love that guy. Anyway, okay. So you and me, bud. Yeah, you and me. Yes. He said yes. Gosh, I love him even more now. Anyway, okay. 
That's phenomenal. Okay, so guys, listen, we're made to die to the law. That is that we're made to die to the requirements of the law for what purpose? Jesus fulfilled them in himself. He fulfilled them in what he does. Notice Paul stresses that the law is not bad. It's actually good. Follow me through on these verses. Verse 7, what shall we say? Is the law sin? What's the answer, church? No, the law is not sin. First thing that Paul says, the law is not sin. Go down to verse 12. What do you see about the law? It's righteous, it is good, and it is holy. The law is righteous, the law is good, the law is holy. It's not burdensome, it was intended for life, but it brings death because we are sinful. Amen? Not that we should be too proud about that. If it is good, uh, if it is good, and we know that it is good, then is it a cause of death for us? What does verse 13 say? No, it is not a cause of death. What is the cause of death for us in this life? Sin. Remember it. Turn back to chapter 5, verse 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world... Who is that one man? Adam. You're not saying with it. You're not saying it with enough um, vitriol, right? Adam, right? That's what. That's how we should say, right? How did sin enter into the world through that goofball Adam? Okay. So, so anyway, not that Adam back there. It's it's important. <laughs> Adam's like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Okay. But follow me through because this is an important teaching that the church often gets really confused today. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, so sin was possible, sin was in the world, death came in through sin. So who ushered in sin? Adam. Adam ushered in sin. Who ushered in death? Sin did. Okay. So, all through Adam ultimately. And so, death spread to all men. Underline that in your Bible. It said death spread to all men, and there's a reason because the next line tells us what the reason is, but death spread to all men. Do you notice that guilt didn't spread to all men? Listen, I don't die in this life because of Adam's stupidity. How many of you have ever wondered that question? Like, why is it that Adam eating an apple gets me killed? Adam eating an apple doesn't get you killed. What gets you killed? The nature that you have, that will get you judged. And look what happens right after that. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Why don't you say that with me, please? All sinned. One more time. All sinned. Now, turn to the person next to you and say, you sinned. (laughs) Okay, turn to the other person and say it too. You sinned. Okay. Isn't that a fantastic exercise for the morning? Oh, listen, no reaching over the aisles. We're going way too far, okay? It was settled in all sin, okay? So, is the law bad? No, the law is not bad. The law is not bad. It is righteous, it is good, it is holy. It is not the cause of death for me. I'm the cause of death for me. I disobeyed, I sinned, and death came to me. It's not, I can't blame it on Adam, I can't blame it on my wife, my wife can't blame it on the serpent, we can't blame it ultimately on God, it's me, I'm the problem here, amen? So you should say that too, it's me, I'm the problem here, say that, it's me, I'm the problem here. You know how healthy a church would be if we all actually believed that, (laughs) right? How healthy is your church? I don't know, but all the problems, it's me. 
All, right? <laughs> All the problem, it's me. It's just me. And don't you dare amen me. <laughs> Sit, I'm going. Anyway, <laughs> I'm done. It's me. Anyway, okay. So Romans 5.12 says that sin is the problem. That's what ushers in death. Turn to chapter 6, verse 23. What does it say? It says the wages of sin is death. Sin spread to all men because death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin has a wage. That payout is death, okay? But there's always that great glorious but in Scripture, right? But the free gift of God is Eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's the hope that we have. That's the joy that we have inside of all of this. So, death spreads to all because all sinned. The wages of sin are death. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Turn with me there. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. This passage gives us clarification on um, what the Apostle Paul says, obviously, to the, to the church of Corinth, but because he, he also reiterates this to the church of Colossae. Here's what he says. He made us alive. Who made us alive? This is the previous verse. Who made us alive? Jesus. Thanks, Dave, for participating. Dave, Dave has just told us the truth. That's the gospel. Jesus made us alive, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees or ordinances, as the King James would say, decrees or ordinances against us, which was hostile to us. Is the law good, holy, and righteous? Yes. Yes, because the Bible says so, right? But is the law hostile to us? Yes. Why? Because we're sinners, okay? It's hostile to us because the law, what we miss about the law is that there is the thou shalts, but there's also the thou shalt nots. There's the blessings of the law, do these and it will go well with you in this life. And then there are the, there are the don't do these and watch out, right? There's the curses of the law. So what happens? The curse, the curse, that's what's hostile, the hostile part of the law towards us. And he was taken out of the way, or he has taken it out of the way. Jesus took the law of ordinances out of the way. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but look at what comes next. Having nailed it to the cross. What did Jesus nail to the cross? The law. Wait a minute. That's a pretty powerful thing, right? What does that mean that he nailed to the cross? Well, there's a lot of ways that the law is referred to in Scripture. There is the law and traditions of men, which is not being referred to here, although that is added, and maybe it's included in an umbrella. But then there's the law of Moses, right? And that law is often referred to as the law of sin and death, right? So I want you to put this in your mind. When you see Jesus nailing the law to the cross, he nails the law of sin and and death to the cross. Guess what we no longer have to be concerned with because of what Jesus did? Sin and death. It's really easy. I wish tests were this easy when I was a kid in school, right? Sin and death. This is what is nailed to the cross. So Jesus is, is the, the author of our salvation. He is the procurer of our salvation. He's the one who, who gains this whole thing. He's the one who nailed the law to the cross. That's beautiful. Is the law still good, pure, and holy? Yes, of course it is. Is the law sin? 
No. Is it a pain in the neck? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe because we're sinful people. But it was nailed to the cross. What else was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago? Our sin. Our sin was nailed to the cross and its consequence, death. This is what Paul means when he says that we were made to die to the law through Christ. We were made to die to the law of sin and death, to its consequences, to what it would bring about if we continued to walk in our sin. Jesus didn't nail to the cross, thou shalt not murder. Trust me, you, you should stop that, right? If, if any murderers are in here today... Sit over here first, and then we'll talk to you afterwards, right? But the, the idea is we, Jesus comes back in the New Testament. Jesus comes to us in the New Testament. He says, I don't even want you to hate your brother in your heart. Otherwise, what's happened? You've murdered him. Okay, Jesus, who came to fulfill the law, not abolish the law, but fulfill the law. Jesus, who nailed the law to the cross, the ordinances and the commands to the cross, sin and death to the cross. That same Jesus says, I don't want you to hate people in your heart. So we have, a, we, we have to expand our file folder and understand we still have a call to obedience, but it is always now in view of the mercy that has been shown to us because we couldn't have life otherwise. We wouldn't have worked our way to Jesus in any way before. Romans chapter 7, verse 10. Back to Romans 7. Romans 7, verse 10. And this commandment, that which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. And look at why it proved to result in death to him. Resulted in death for me, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So what deceives us? You've got, you've got garden imagery here. You've got the garden of Eden imagery. What deceived Eve in the, in the garden? The snake, right? What deceives us? Sin. What was really deceiving Eve ultimately? Sin. Sin is deceiving Eve, okay? So th this, is, this is really important because the, the law, the commands were meant for life, but they actually produce in us, they result in death or prove to result in death for me. Why? Because I'm a sinner. But here's the beautiful thing. We were made to die to that. Why? Because Jesus nailed it to the cross. I love that beautiful, beautiful truth. Verse 11, it tells us that, he, that sin deceived us, but Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of, say it with me, church, sin and death. Sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. That's the saving part of it. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I love those truths, church. So the very first thing that Paul is trying to get across in this section of Scripture is that we were made to die to the law through Christ. We were made to die to the law of sin and death, the consequences, all of those things through Christ Jesus. Now, 
Here's where we take a turn to the next piece. And that is so that we could be joined to another. Now, I want you to, I want you to put your hands on your Bible for a second. And I want you to give me your attention. You were made, I was made, we were made to die to the law of sin and death so that we could be united with Christ. He is not sharing his marriage bed with any other. He does not say, hey, I just want you to be married to me, but I'm not really worried about your past. You, you come as you are, make no mistake, you come as you are, but what did he do on the cross 2,000 years ago? He nailed who you were to the cross, amen? So he says, I did this, I killed the law, the consequences of the law, I killed all of this stuff in my flesh for you so that you could be joined to me. This is why it's so important that we reject an idea an idea of nominal Christianity. There is no such thing as Christianity by name only. Are you a Christian? Sure, I'm a Christian. The next question should be, what does your life look like? What does your life look like? I'm not saying, what does your life look like to make sure that God's happy with you so that you can pay him back? None of that nonsense. My point is, you were joined to one, and what does he want out of his bride? A pure and spotless bride. He's not sharing the marriage bed with anyone. Please don't miss this. This is why that imagery says that old husband of yours... Now. Wives, just listen to me clearly. That old husband of yours, he had to be put down. Okay? He had to be put down. Bill, Faye's looking right at you. I'm just throwing this out. Just, I'm just throwing this out. But the idea is that old husband had to be put down. Why? Jesus isn't sharing his bride. He's not sharing his bride. Jesus isn't hooked to the person that is known as an adulteress. He's not. He redeems you from adultery. He redeems you from whatever sin you have. This is a vital, vital truth. So Paul tells us, he says, guess what? The law of commands, the law, all that stuff, it was nailed to the cross. You died to it in Christ Jesus so that you could be pure and spotless and holy and righteous for him alone. That is an amazing, amazing idea. Just so you know, this has been God's plan since the beginning. It's never changed, right? Let's go with me to the Old Testament. Hosea, it's the book right after the book of Daniel. Go to Hosea. This is such a beautiful, beautiful passage. A little bit obscure, but you'll get the prophetic reference in this. Hosea chapter 2. Verses 19 and 20, and then we're going to skip to 23, not because 22 is bad, but, or 21 is bad, but listen to it. It says, if I will betroth you to me forever, I, this is God speaking, and who is he talking to in the me right now? He's actually talking to Israel, but this is amazing. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In his righteousness and in his justice. He condemned sin in the flesh, church. Don't miss it, okay? I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. Why did Jesus die for us? Loving, com loving kindness and compassion, that's it. 
right? That's it. It's not because Barney put on a good suit today. It's not any of that, right? It doesn't matter what suit he puts on. Jesus wouldn't. Anyway, okay, moving on. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Faithfulness. Remember, we're talking about Jews here for a second, okay? Remember this, because he's going to make the transition to the Gentiles. But he, he betroths them in faithfulness. Why faithfulness? Because God made a promise. And do God's promises go void? No, they do not, right? No, they do not. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, his faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Up to that point, they're just a bunch of crazy people who don't really know him. They think they know him, but they don't know him. Now skip to verse 23. This language is going to be familiar to you. I guarantee it. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. Who's he talking to now? The Gentiles, the rest of the world. Raise your hand and say he's talking to me. He's talking to me, okay? So here's what he says. He says, I'm going to show compassion to those who have not obtained compassion. We're going to hear this language again in Romans 9. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. What is Paul saying in Romans 9? God saved the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. Not I picked some for salvation and some I'm going to throw into a pit of burning fire, right? He didn't say it. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my groom. You are my God. Because they understand the right image. He is, he is always and always going to be. Always was and always is going to be God. So this has always been God's plan, right? He's always been on the hunt for a bride. And all of us become that bride. How? Because of his mercy. Because he nails the law and its requirements, sin and death, to the cross, through him, never without him, through him, so that we could be joined to him, away from that old man, he's been put down, we're with Jesus, there's no other way. Beautiful truth, always been God's plan. As a matter of fact, when it comes to gospel declaration, it should always be on our lips as we proclaim the gospel. It was for the Apostle Paul. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Lots of turning today, sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Underline this in your Bible, because it is a profound, profound truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 2. For I am jealous for you. This is Paul writing to the church. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For what did Paul do? What did Paul do? I betrothed you to one husband. So that to Christ, I might present you as a pure virgin. I, have, I am presenting you as a spotless lamb. That's what my whole gospel agenda was. That's what all of our gospel agenda is, church. What we're trying to do is say the gospel, proclaim the good news that God wants a bride. And you're it. And listen, you didn't get cleaned up yourself. He cleans you up. As a matter of fact, he did it 2,000 years ago. All that you have to do is accept. All that you have to do, think about it, it's marriage language. What do you say? I do. Yes, I do. I do. You say yes to the proposal. You say I do to the covenant of marriage. You say I'm in. I'm with you. See, this beautiful message has been communicated throughout the whole of Scripture. All the way through. 
So we're made to die to the law through Christ Jesus so that we can be joined to him. But here's the kicker for all of this. Here's the practical part. Here's the part that leaves you walking away today and saying, "Uh uh-oh, I better act like a bride. I've been called to act like a bride. I've been called to be the person that God has made me to be. Point number three, in order that you would bear fruit for God. Now, we have this imagery again, don't we? We have, this, we have this creation imagery. What were we mandated to do in the garden? Be fruitful and multiply. It's amazing. So the same commission is to the one true Adam. The same commission is to Christ. Christ and his bride are to be fruitful and multiply. And our fruit is the life lived to the glory of God, to the glorious praise of who he is. He is a God who can redeem wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked people, just like you and me, and make us a beautiful, pure, spotless bride. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Right? The gospel message is, it really doesn't matter how bad you were, because you couldn't get better, okay? Doesn't matter how bad you were, you couldn't get any better. Jesus condemned all this stuff on the cross in his flesh so that you could be joined to him, and that then you could, in view of mercy, you could produce fruit, and you could do it for the Father. This is really powerful, powerful. Turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans 6, verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. What comes out of this marriage, this joining to Christ Jesus? Sanctification. And the outcome, eternal life. You become sanctified. You're being made right John in 15, uh, John chapter 15, Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus himself declares that the fruit of the Christian life, the fruit of the apostles' lives and consequently ours, is the evidence that we are his bride. So the whole purpose all the time was for us to produce fruit, wasn't it? Isn't that the point? I, I, I'm confused by Christians who see the gospel in such a short-sighted manner. Here is the gospel, and, and maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's to the discredit of many pastors who have proclaimed this message. You're a sinner in need of salvation. Jesus paid for it on the cross, and now you've been joined to the groom. And then the gospel ends. Okay? You were a sinner, you were saved by grace, you were, the sin and death was condemned in Jesus' flesh on the cross, you've been joined to him, and that's where the story ends for most churches. But that's not what Paul said, and he puts it all in one verse. Like, you, you can't read this out of context. <laughs> if you do, you got problems, right? So, so he condemns sin and death in the flesh. He joins you, the father joins you to his son in holy matrimony. I do. And the purpose is he wants fruit. He wants fruit. And then we understand the framework of the Bible that says the fruit is the evidence that we are who we claim to be. It all makes sense when we understand that the gospel is die, be married, join to the one, and produce fruit. But if the gospel stops with join and be married, what we have are a bunch of people that said, I'm saved, I'm saved. Don't you put your works-based faith on me. Don't, you're trying to make me earn it. I'm not trying to make you do nothing. I'm telling you what God commanded you to do. 
I'm telling you what is right for a bride to do with her groom, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. Underline this in your Bible. Study it on your own time. You need to study it. You need to give yourself to it. Here's what Paul said in this same vein, in this same idea to the church in Galatia. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh set its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Now you know why there was a war going on. Praise God, he nailed it to the cross. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Oh, but then he's going to tell you to do the things that God calls you to. (laughs) which should be the things you please now because we need to understand it better. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Don't amen any of these guys. We'll talk later about them. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Look at the warning that comes right now. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus is joined to a pure and spotless bride. Make no mistake. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, are the kids trying to break in? Is that what's about to? Awesome. I'll I'll speed up. I'll speed up. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then this famous line, against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. Paul says some very confusing things in chapter 6 and chapter 7. This is why in Peter's epistle, he says, some of you talk about Paul's writings and you say that they're hard to understand. But anybody who knows Paul and knows what he's saying knows they're not hard to understand. It's just the truth of the gospel. Here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus condemned your sin in his flesh 2,000 years ago. And he caused you, he enabled you to die to the commandments of God and all of their requirements because he nailed them to the cross. He did so so that that old self would die and that you can be joined to another. That is to him. He's not sharing the marriage bed with anybody else. He wants you pure and spotless. And as a pure and spotless bride, he has in view, has always had in view, the creation mandate to produce fruit. He has always done this. This is why Romans 8 tells us that the creation who was subjected to sin and death, we're talking about animals and plant life and all of that stuff, that was subjected against its will because of our stupidity, it groans and longs and waits for what? The children of God to be revealed. The fruit of the beautiful truth of what it is that God has produced in salvation. That's what, that's what the world's waiting for. Guys, the world doesn't just want to find you to be a hypocrite and call you one. It's, that's not what their agenda is. The, the culture, the world at large, is longing for you to act like what you claim. It, it, the, the creation, the world at large, is, is longing for you and I to act like the people that we claim to be. And if we are those people, we will be acting like that. We will be producing fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of those things. 
All that needed to be accomplished for you and I was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. Our sin was killed, the law was fulfilled, and we were joined to another. It was accomplished so that we would believe and have faith in that truth. Joining together, guys, joining together in that marriage bed, and that marriage bed has one purpose, bear fruit. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.